Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there, Steve. Mythologic Argosy sights land. <laughs> uh, today we are celebrating the life and work of Gene Wolfe, who uh, sadly passed away on the 14th of April. Uh, yeah. And and what better way to to talk about Gene Wolfe's work than with his magnum opus, Book of the New Sun? The greatest series of novels ever written in the history of the English language? Uh, I, I really sure. Like I mean, if you want to go, I know you love that this book. I, I guess that argument can be made that it is, you know, at least one of or the uh, the history of of Latin, English, and Greek. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we want to go quite that far, but uh, uh, the reason the reason I say that uh, did you re read the appendices appendices uh, of the books? Some, some okay. of the appendices. So the. The conceit, one of the conceits, there's many of them in, in these books, is that um, they, Wolf found the manuscripts for these books, and they were written in a language not yet um, existing. Mm -hmm. So he painstakingly translated these books into English from a non-existent language. And um, he used uh, Latin and Greek terms to fill in the gaps of uh, concepts and things that we have no words for. Right, right. Uh, things like measurements and whatnot. And it is an, it's an interesting kind of uh, framing device, although it's not really a framing device, it's just as an appendix in each book um, of translators notes that this is a far future text that has somehow come back in time to him right some unknown mechanic well the mechanic is kind of known if you read the earth of the new sun mm -hmm. which we won't be doing because that, that even i'll say that's overkill right right that we'd have to just like turn this podcast into microphones of Gene Wolf. <laughs> hey, other podcasts do it. That's true, but you know, I like a little bit of variety. I don't like to dwell. Yeah, but uh, Book of the New Sun is in the uh, subset of fantasy science fiction called Dying Earth, which is like your absolute favorite setting. For, for it, it's it's definitely one of my favorite um, devices for mm -hmm. for settings. It's uh, I mean, you've got this, you've got um, Jack Vance, who whose books coined the term mm -hmm. the Dying Earth. Um, you know, Gamma World is a Dying Earth kind of thing. Is it more Dying Earth or is it more post-apocalypse? Yeah, well, you know, the two. The two kind of get conflated sometimes. Uh, what well, Numenera is uh, dying, supposed to be a dying Earth thing as well. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, one of the things, uh, you know, for those of you not familiar with the genre, 
that sets dying earth aside from uh, post-apocalyptic fiction or, or dystopian fiction is that uh, the earth is coming to its end, not through the efforts of mankind, but through the simple cosmic force of entropy. Which is kind of debatable in this book. Um, we know that the sun is dying. Um, they talk about it. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it, you know, you could see stars during the day. The sun is dimmed to the point where you can see stars during the day. Right. right. Um, but they also talk about a worm that eats the heart of the sun. Right. Um, and it's, and in the earth of the new sun, um, not to spoil it for you, Roddy, <laughs> um, but there's a, they talk about a black hole being that had been set into the heart of the sun. Mm -hmm. It's obviously, it's not hard science fiction. Yeah. They mentioned that briefly in claw. So that, and now I read somewhere and it might've been in a, in a game supplement book that, um, that black hole was purposefully put there as part of an attempted coup against um the the second empire which is a pre-autark government mm -hmm. that um you you meet the 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 dictator of that at one point um i think in the sort of the liquor anyway i digress but um it it might have the sun might be going out um as because of something stupid people did. Right. So, right. well, you know, it's, it, it's really hard to tell because a lot of things in this particular society that the book of the new sun is set in are spoken of in kind of metaphysical terms. Yeah. Uh, now it, it does take place a gazillion years in the future. Yes. Um, <laughs> in amid the ruins of societies that earth has, yet to even conceive uh, yes. humanity has gone back and forth to other planets. We've terraformed the moon to the point that it is a dense jungle world mm -hmm. uh, or densely forested at least because the, they talk about the green moonlight. Right. Uh, and, and this, this, this new society is kind of a, a quasi medieval fantasy realm yeah you start off really it starts off in your thinking that it is kind of a, a medieval society and then as as you read more you come to find out it's more of a fallen society um where they just have the lowest common denominator in terms of tech level and politics mm -hmm. is medieval right um, but there are uh, snippets of of um, technology that are used here and there, right? Occasionally, you'll see laser guns um, or or uh, flying machines. Yeah, or fire lances. Right. Um, the the citadel itself, where um, the first half of this book takes place, uh, the first half of the first book takes place, is um, an abandoned spaceport. Mm-hmm. And the, the various cults that live there uh, are living in spaceships, basically. Right, right. That no longer function. 
like gigantic rockets. Yeah, I mean it's it's super cool. Like at one point there was like this huge spaceship or huge starport that just no longer we just they don't they lost the technology and the know-how to, to make it all work mm-hmm. and don't even know what it was for. Right. In in some respects the society of uh Book of the New Sun is kind of feels a little bit like Thundar the Barbarian, which is kind of co kind of around the same time. This book was published in 81. Uh, yeah, I think like in the, it's early eighties. Yeah. Right. And in Hanna Barbaria did uh Thundar in like also the early eighties, maybe even 79. Right. That, well, um, that's why it reminds me. Oh, it was 1980. It was the shadow oh, of the torture. Sorry. And then claw was 81. I think they were like years of, each one was a year apart. Mm. I think he wrote them all and then they were broken up. And I'm not sure that um, that was his decision. Right. That, that was... is, sounds like a, um, well, we'll never sell a thousand page book kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, right. Uh, and, and, you know, it was, nobody knew who Gene Wolfe was in 1980. Right. He had written a couple of things, um, but nothing, you know, huge like this that like cemented his his place as mm-hmm. a master of science fiction. Right. So, so this oh. is basically the story of a an apprentice torturer. <laughs> I know something great. <laughs> um, a member of the, the torturer's guild who uh, shows the the sin of mercy and backs his way into the uh, the autocracy, the the highest you know um, political office in the Commonwealth. Right. That's like page one. <laughs> it's, yep. it's funny. It's, it's it's not a spoiler. No, um, no. He starts he starts off telling you straight up who he is. And how I got into the situation where I backed myself into the throne. Yes. This is this is the story of how my life got flipped, turned upside down. Yes. <laughs> More or less, that's what it is. But um, just the, the the depth of the prose and and what goes on, it, it's the ride you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And you know the the symbolism of the ride, um, right? Hint: New Sun is what it sounds like, <laughs> right? With uh, with with only a vowel being different, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, so it Wolf, should be said: Gene Wolfe was a Catholic. He was a devout Catholic, and this is and and Severian that the. the main character in the story um, is definitely a, uh, a substitute Jesus. <laughs> Your own substitute Jesus. <laughs> uh, now it's clever. If that makes you want to, if that loses your interest, then I'm sorry that it's probably not for you, but you know, this is a common thing in science fiction. Um, plenty of authors do this. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, everyone who goes on about uh, Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick also <laughs> was very big on Christianity and incorporated a lot of um, the mysteries and mysticism of Christianity into his works as well. So, mm -hmm. pretty um, much, pretty much any uh, science fiction or fantasy that deals with a chosen one or a savior trope is is riffing on christianity yeah to one form or another um you just hear you're not being very critical uh with gene wolf right but we are being clever um because i think that well severian isn't a nice guy <laughs> no he's he's kind of a sociopath yeah so here you have this kid who's basically reared in um, they call it a guild, but it's a cult mm -hmm. of um, of torturers. I mean, they are the guild for the um, what is it? The uh, repentance, the order of the order, right? Of of, uh, of penitence and um, anyway, right? They're the they're the punishers of this society. Mm -hmm. uh, their job is to uh, enact the punishments that the autark or, you know, the judges hand down. Mm -hmm. They're jailers. They are executioners. They are torturers. Right. Um, and, and they're a religious order. <laughs> right. Of, you know, the, the, they might not know it, but their roots are definitely in, um, Catholic um, monastic orders, mm -hmm. kind of uh, you know, uh, shoot, what is what did I say? The the order of the doctrine of faith or something like that. Yeah, it's like if the Benedictines, um, you know, chopped your head off. <laughs> the Jesuits, <laughs> and they're not the only one. I mean, there's different orders, different guilds for different functions. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like at some point. Um, you had this hugely religious society that collapsed and mm -hmm. the, the, I guess the, the, the structure remained. Yeah. Uh, you, the traditions of their structure remained mm -hmm. gazillions and, of years in the. Yeah. You very much have kind of the uh, vestiges of a theocracy going on uh, with the, the autark being you know this god king of sorts and in a sense they are yeah yeah they oh they totally are especially when you find out um what makes an autark mm -hmm. um i don't it, i i don't want to spoil it for you because i don't know if you've gotten that far this is a two-part um episode just yes so yes all today you know out there Today we are just trying to focus mainly on Shadow of the Torture and uh, Claw of the Conciliator. Claw, Claw of the Conciliator, the first two volumes in this in this book, and in the next episode we'll be looking at Sword of the Lictor and uh, Citadel of the Altark. Yes. Um, yeah. So very much a, a, a kind of a theolog uh, theocratic society, um, and and kind of almost like a middle ages if the catholic church was like the european union 
uh, and then where, failed. Right. And then failed, but it's still kind of there and it still kind of works. But right. yeah, it's, it's almost as, you know, not only has the force of entropy uh, caused the sun to start dying, but it's also caused a lot of our institutions or the institutions of this particular world to kind of become entropic. And they are all vestiges of their former greatness. Uh, Severian what? even mentions this several times. Yeah, and, and it's not only with the institutions that you that you see, um, but also with just their stories and how they live. Um, we, we were talking, I think it was yesterday, we were kind of talking about um, Severian ends up in, in this prison of sorts, and he tells a story, or he reads a story out of a book. Mm -hmm. And it is basically a, a mashup story of uh, the, the tale of Theseus, Defeating right. the Minotaur and the battle um, of the Monitor and the Merrimack and the Merrimack just <laughs> combined because of confusion. Because uh, Minotaur and Monitor are similar words, so they kind of you, you get this ogre, which is a battleship, <laughs> right, in a maze of islands, which kind of also uh, calls back to the game Ogre because it's very similar. Yeah. playing a game of ogre and and he and and they find their way by um by looking at the the um the silt and mud stirred up by the ogre in the channels kind of like um how theseus used string to mark his way through the maze mm -hmm. also theseus and the word thesis are mashed up in this story and confused because you have his his quote father is a scholar who dreams him into existence like a thesis, mm -hmm. but and it's it's really clever and really well done. But it it it, it shows that like everything is so old and so just winding down that that even like things that we're familiar with as as stories in history just become garbled mm -hmm. and and become like these this these legends that right. are half half truths and 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 half half myth right now severian as a character we we mentioned that he's kind of a sociopath but you know he's he's been trained from birth to be part of this order and he doesn't really understand any other way of behaving as, except for the edicts of the order which right. are if the sentence is handed down you go in and you do your job and the job is some of the most horrible things you can do to human beings. And they talk about it like it's just, you know, and it's just a hole. It's just business. <laughs> they, they talk about it like it's filling the tank at the at the gas station or digging a hole or, mm -hmm. or you know, making copies. Right. And oh, and so what did she get? Uh, oh, we gave her the full boot. Yeah, they flayed her leg. From her knee down to her feet, and it's just like, oh yeah, I gotta clock out in ten, right? And 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 <laughs> it, it becomes like a hospital where you have the the senior torturer leading around the acolyte torturers and right. saying, you know, in order to do this properly, because you know you can't you can't have your clients bleeding to death because you know you did it wrong. You have to do it in a certain way, 
because you know that's not the only thing on this list but you know we got a whole we got a whole uh, world of delights to show this person all right and after the full boot is done and she she comes out of her shock then we got another foot to do <laughs> so, we got another foot to do we can put her on the we might put her on the rack you know well, they they only do what they are told to do mm -hmm. uh, they make a great pains wolf makes great pains of letting us know that they are they just carry out the sentences that they're given uh, no more and no less right right this is this is not like everyone in the the order of the tor the society of torturers or whatever is a sadist and and cruel and vindictive they are very clinical about doing this yes and they treat it as business it you know it's almost it's almost it's disturbingly cold how it's, severian it's and the others discuss you know the justice system in this world which is torture and th there's a point where then uh, that might be in um the sort of the lictor where he actually goes through um like an apologist argument as to to justify um the position of the torturers in the society in society in general mm -hmm. um so maybe we'll get to that next week right because it's actually scarier this way yeah well i mean you know the torturers <laughs> themselves take a very much pride in their work right it's everybody like, hates them and they kind of revel in that fact mm -hmm. but just the fact that there's institutionalized torture and maybe it's because you know we live in this day and age where we don't have that that we want to admit right but but you know it culturally we don't have that does it happen yes but but institutionally it doesn't happen mm -hmm. it's black ops right it's it's you know secret rendition right right enhanced interrogation right right but you know culturally um and institutionally we we have, you know, um, a, a, a constitutional amendment that says there, there's no cruel or unusual punishment. Right. But none of this is cruel or unusual in this world because it is, it is simply the judicious sentence of the courts or of the Altark himself. Right. And, you know, the Altark is considered to be an infallible leader. Yes. His spittle is the rain that we blah, blah, blah. Yes. His every, time urine. Someone, every time someone mentions the autark, there's always a platitude to follow it. Right. He whose urine provides the nectar to quench our mighty thirsts. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's great. And now, interestingly enough, the, the torturers themselves are a walking black metal album cover. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They, uh, they go bare-chested. They're bare-chested. They all wear masks. And they wear cloaks of fulligen, which, which is, is blacker than black. Yes. See, when, when this whole Vanta Black thing happened, 
Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's just fulgen. Right. <laughs> I know what that is. <laughs> so Gene Wolfe predicts full predicts Vanta Black in this. Right. Now, if if you're wondering what Severian's cloak looks like uh, as they're describing it, you know, fulgen, uh, go and and do like a YouTube search or something for Vanta Black, and you'll see how dark this color actually is. And it's not even accurately represented because you're looking at it on a screen. Right. But it, it is black. It is very dark. It looks like a hole. It's black as the inside of a coffin at midnight. You know, it's like, it's like a spinal tap album cover. Um, <laughs> None more black. <laughs> it's like the disaster area ship in uh, hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. Yeah, so I mean, that's pretty cool that these guys walk around with these cloaks that basically um, take away all sense of of perspective mm-hmm. away from them. Yeah, they like, they look like so one dimensional shadows. Like your eyes can't even hit it. Like mm-hmm. your eyes slide off the the blackness, and his cloak <laughs> really is what sets everything in motion. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, there's a couple of catalysts that happen. Um, the first being that uh, he rescues the um, populist leader. Yes. He rescues Donald Trump, more or less. Mm, kind of. So I used to think Votalist was a Robin Hood, but then... You know, he's just a populist douche. Right, right. He's he's generic, uh, you know, populist. He's he. Oh shit! What is the this guy's name in 1984? Big Brother. No, the the other one, the one everybody has the the two minutes hate. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, more. Yes, exactly. Um, he is. He is the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, see, he comes off as Robin Hood. Like, totally Robin Hood. Right. Um, he's he's a populist hero who, you know, strikes from the forest against the, the, the Autark. Yep, the Lord of the Leaves. But you come to find out that he's only in it to, to put himself on the throne. Right. And and you also find out in uh, Claw the Conciliator that that the current Altark is in on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's like you know, yeah, sure, you know, we can do this, and and it becomes this weird kind of political theater going on where you have two sides, but they're not really in opposition to each other, but they are in opposition to each other. They on paper they are in opposition to each other. Right. But in reality, the autark controls everything. Right. So it's in in such a way you have kind of the uh, the Darth Sidious thing, uh, to put it in in more pop cultural terms, where he's you know running the Republic and he's running the the separatists as well. Yeah. Well, it, it's definitely a nineteen eighty four is perfect. Because um, in 1984, the three states are in, a, in perpetual war, mm-hmm. um, and it's designed to keep the the 
population off balance. And I think that this is kind of the same thing as well. Um, you know, it's it sounds like this is a shitty world to live in. Yeah. <laughs> and unless you are the autark or a um, um, or a noble mm -hmm. or, you know, a, a wealthy merchant, uh, your life sucks. Yes. B because everything is run out. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Um, how, how do you do that? How, how, how do you, you know, balance a population that could be constantly on the verge of revolt? You right. I'm at perpetual war, both externally and internally. And Votalist serves that purpose. Yes. He gives everybody, <coughs> excuse me. He gives the loyalists someone to hate. And he gives the uh, the rebellious faction someone to rally, rally behind, right? And then you have kind of everybody else who are like, ah, you know, whatever, you know, let let them fight, right. and go about you know the day to day grind to survive, right? And, and it it is a grind. I mean, I can't stress enough. This is a gazillion years in the future, and the Earth is used up. Miners mm. don't mine ore. They mine artifacts from from our time, right? <laughs> or right. you know, or the near future. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> so you know, they're bringing up like televisions and shit from ruined cities underground, mm -hmm. and, and using what they can to to keep society going. Yeah. Uh, so, one of the other things that's that's a really striking image from from uh, Shadow of the Torturer is the idea of the Citadel being this old spaceport, but it is surrounded by this massive graveyard. Yeah, it's surrounded by... And it's an old graveyard that is kind of a combination of, like, old aristocracy that no one remembers mm -hmm. and a potter's field. Right. Right. Closer down to the city where all the rabble live, is the potter's field and it's still in use. Mm -hmm. uh, and then as you proceed closer and closer to the Citadel where the torturers, I uh, believe the hunters guild and the witches live. Yeah. And I'm sure there's quite a number of different guilds that live there, but those are the ones that are, are named. Right. Because those are the closest neighbors to the torturers guild. Right. Um, you, you get more wealthier tombs and, and, uh, mausoleums and this sort of thing right and it's it's so old of a cemetery that the land is starting to reclaim it there's bushes and trees that have sprouted up and grown and you know it has its own like ecosystem developing that's kind of unique to mm -hmm. everywhere else in the in the in the setting um this is also a world where we have been visited by aliens um, and the human race has gone into genetic engineering to a great degree uh, in the yeah. fact that uh, we have been able or they have been able to reclaim extinct species and we have unique species that have never before been seen on Earth, some of which have been transplanted from other planets. Right. Well, even the, the nobles 
um, the exultants have um, extraterrestrial blood in in them. Mm-hmm. They're they're uh, it, it's, larger. It's heavily implied they're taller. That mm-hmm. they are um, the descendants of colonists um, from the glory days of Earth, mm-hmm. and when the uh, when the government of Earth, whatever the Second Empire, according to like some shit I was reading, uh, fell, and these people were recalled. They ended up becoming the aristocracy. Mm-hmm. A kind of a so, ruling class. Right. So you have like, uh, you know, people from, from worlds that had lighter gravity than ours, maybe like Mars, you know, mm-hmm. terraforming Mars. And the people that would be living there would, you know, in, in soft sci-fi totally grow taller because of the lesser gravity. Right. And they don't have that restriction. We're looking at you, Edgar Rice. Yeah, Burroughs and, you know, shit. Um, look at the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. They, they were all had um, en- enhancements from the worlds they grew up on, which right. was the worlds of our solar system. They had the guy from Mercury was made of crystals because of the heat. Right. The guy from Titan because of the high gravity of Jupiter. Ended right. up being super strong on every other world. Yep. So, very clever use of that trope. Mm-hmm. But Severian saves uh, Votalis in, in the Necropolis um, and inadvertently falls in love um, with his paramour. Yep. Who's there, there with him. And they are in the Necropolis robbing graves for an unknown reason. Yes. An unknown but sinister reason. Yes. That is uh, later revealed. So, long story short, um, the paramour, whose name ends up being Thea, mm-hmm. has a half-sister, Thecla, who is um, sentenced to be tortured because as a bargaining chip. Right, try to draw out Votalus. Yes, kind of the Maid Marian scenario. Right. And Severian ends up falling in love with Thecla. Yes. Chatelaine Thecla. And when Thecla's, um, when her sentence is enacted, which is like, you know, I'm not a big fan of torturing devices, but what a cool fucking torturing device. Right. She gets electrocuted and uh, the the device implants in her psyche um, a, a suicidal impulse mm-hmm. so that she, um, when left alone, she will just try and kill herself, but she can't. Because you know her, once it, she tries to choke herself or whatever, at a certain point she just shuts off. Right, and, and she continues this until she gets too weak to a- actually do anything. So she slowly, um, she can't kill herself, but ends up dying because she's slowly losing her ability to live. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just like that's pretty twisted. That is pretty twisted. 
so twisted, in fact, and this is a machine that's rarely used, by the way. Yes. Uh, that even one that even the master torturers are like, whoa. Yeah. Did I read that right? <laughs> Which uh, it seems like that's a pretty severe uh you know punishment for someone who really is just a tool in a right. game. So right. you gotta wonder really how um how innocent quote unquote Thecla really was. It's true. It's true. Um now Severian is an unreliable narrator who um, claims to be 100% reliable. I am possessed of a perfect memory. Yes. He, he claims to have um, a perfect memory, but he doesn't. And even if he does, he contradicts himself enough in the text that you get the feeling that he's leaving stuff out to make himself look good. Well, I mean, he's he he mentions the fact that he's deliberately leaving stuff. I'm not going to tell you about what I did last Tuesday because I find you would probably think it boring. Right. But now at, at, later on in the book or in the in the second book. Mhm. Mm uh Severian becomes part of or Thecla becomes part of Severian. He gets all of her memories and her personality. Right. So um, I, I'm, I'm thinking that the Thecla part of Severian leaves out what she actually did. To right. No, no, absolutely. Person. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that is what really draws him into being uh, kind of an unreliable narrator because He's not often sure if it's his own thoughts or if it's his, if it's Thecla's memory that's right. driving him in any given moment. But up until that point of that ritual, um, you know, I have no reason to doubt what he's saying is more or less what happened. Well, yes, because no. there's no other perspective. This is written in first person, right? And and it is a recollections many years later. Of of Severians backing into the throne, right now you don't have any reason up until that point to doubt Severian, and but after that point you have every reason to doubt everything he said prior to that point, because the Severian with Thecla is writing, and and many other people. True. So, so so yeah, okay, I can see what word Severian says. Right. Right. There's there's no way of knowing, you know, what what bit of memory he's recounting exactly how it happened. Right. Um, exactly. Because, you know, he's you know, the, the Severian who wrote the thing is not the Severian who experienced it. Right. Thank OK, you. I could I can see that. So. Anyway. But that's, that's throwing a little bit of foresight from uh, Sword, I think. Uh, it's throwing, yeah. The, the problem with, with splitting it up, and I think this is probably one of the reasons why Wolf objected it to it being split up into four books, um, is that it's so 
dense in terms of the prose and the symbolism and everything refers to everything else back mm -hmm. and forth and back and forth because it, it is a whole novel rather than four books in a series right what i'm saying like right. like and i hate to bring it up but it's like the lord of the rings is really is really one book that had been um chopped into six books right but what, weren't those six books um originally published in like newspapers mm, i don't i don't think they were i think he originally wanted that to be one big book and the publishing company was like there's no way people are going to read this long of a book and i'll tell you i have a copy of the lord of the rings like all of it in one volume mm -hmm. and it's pretty big and i don't like opening it right so i'm afraid the spine is gonna break right the spine is gonna break in chapter 32 and 33 you're just gonna fall right out the middle yes so i i kind of get it from like just a practical standpoint why you wouldn't want that to happen mm -hmm. but just like in terms of author's intent um, it is one one big book, and you, you know you come to find out things later on in the book that ha that illuminate situations from earlier on, and right. vice versa. Now you mentioned this earlier, Severian's, uh, you know, defining moment, so, uh, such as it were, um, was that this machine uh, was so terrible and it was doing such terrible things because Severian had fallen in love with, with Thecla. Yeah. And so he commits the sin of, of mercy, which is something that a torturer should never do because it's just not part of the professional credo. Right. Uh, He's going to die anyway. Right. But secrets a kitchen knife into her cell so that she may uh, end her own life quickly uh, before she shuts off. Right. So and he gets caught doing it. Yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't not going to get caught. <laughs> right. I mean, it was like Severian's relationship with Thecla, I think, was about as um, secret as Clark Kent being Superman. Well, I think he was pretty much told that uh, she wants you around, so you're going to yeah. go around and you're going to do whatever she requires of you. Um, by the way, have you ever had sex? Yeah. Uh, no, sir. <laughs> well, we got to take care of that before we assign you to Thecla because I'm sure that's one of the things she's going to want. Actually, actually, that is an important uh, scene in in the uh, the Algidonic Quarter, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because Severian's basically assigned to be her cabin boy, right? Her pool boy, pool boy. Um, his master, one of the masters of the guild, tells him that um, he should avoid sleeping with her. And in order to do this, he he uh, basically tells Severian to go to a whorehouse and go get laid. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know you 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 know you're not tempted. And the whorehouse, 
that he goes to is run by um, a eunuch. Mm -hmm. And all the girls are dressed up like uh, the the harem of the Altarch. Yes. So the Altarch um, keeps this. I think this is like a, I want to say a Byzantium uh, practice where the, the Altarch has a, um, a wife or a concubine from each of the, the, the Lord's families, mm -hmm. you know, the aristocracy's families um, that, that are, they're basically prisoners and insurance against an uprising. Yes. Um, Very much like the Shogunate. Yes. So the, the whores in this whorehouse are basically commoners dressed up like these um, aristocratic women, mm -hmm. including Thecla. And lo and behold, just guess who Severian decides to to sleep with when he goes to the to the whorehouse. Yep. Spoiler alert. Spoiler it's alert. Yeah, who's also there? Right. Now here's the here's the interesting thing, and we discussed this when we discussed the land across. Um. Once. Uh. Severian becomes more experienced and he's sowed a few oats um, among among the other world's oldest profession. Uh, he becomes this like chick magnet. Yeah, a lot of women. Lie and I mean themselves at Severian. Severian walks down the street and women kind of just like throw themselves at him. And he falls deeply, madly, and truly in love with every one of them. Well, not every one of them. Well, almost every one of them. Um, and and that that kind of propels the action along for much but of the story. The other thing is, like every time, so just mark my words: every time Severian sleeps with somebody, it bites him in the ass. Oh yes, every time. And now, now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, come on. What about the true love of his life? What about Dorcas? Well, <laughs> I, I, I'll just drop a hint for next week and just say, "Sweet home Alabama, motherfucker." Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I I read uh, synopsis <laughs> oh, <okay>. synopses. <laughs> Of all the books, and yeah, there's that implication uh, that there's some there's some Lannister shit going on there. He, he slept with his own grandmother. <laughs> Sorry, that's gross. It, it is gross. It he is fucking fry. Yes, I, he has his he's, he's exactly his own grandfather. That whole plot from um from that episode of Futurama is basically Severian. In a nutshell. Mm -hmm. uh, so as a punishment, because because they can't tell the Autark, hey, one of our guys let Dinkle kill herself. So, you know, what do you want to do? Because that would make them look bad. And they can't just disappear him either because that would make them look bad. 
Right. So they said, you know what? This is what we're going to do. And they do this kind of mafia style, right? They bring him in. The boss talks to him and says, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> I got you a job at a town. It's in Canada. <laughs> the furthest fucking town I could think of needs uh, an executioner. Yeah. Or a master jailer or, you know, it's kind of like all the same. Right. Uh, what what's going to happen is is that you know your skill that uh, we don't want to waste your skills that we've put all this time and effort into you know uh, nurturing, mm-hmm. but we can't have you around here, so we're going to ship you off to this town, uh, Thrax, I believe it was. Yeah, uh, and you're going to become their executioner and uh, lictor, master of chains. And uh, that's that's going to be what's happening. Or you can stay here and die of old age, locked in a cell. Either way, I'm good. No, um, now it, it turns out that this has happened before. After Paramus, Poamus, I can't remember. As you all know, I said the names. Anyway, he he. Um, Went through something similar when he was a child, a young torturer. Mm-hmm. He he was uh, booted from the guild and sent in exile to practice as a uh, as a lictor. Mm-hmm. He came back and became master. Right. So it's like you know, go and do this job for us. Do the best until you the, can. Until the heat dies down. Be all you can be, and you know maybe one day you'll be able to come back and be in good standing. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I have a present for you. Here's the coolest sword that isn't Stormbringer in all of fantasy literature. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, Terminus Est. Uh, it's pretty much a what what I've heard of in like fantasy gaming is a Mercury blade, in that. Uh, running down from the hilt to the point of the blade is a hollow tube filled blade. with a liquid. Well, it didn't have a point, but uh, from from end to end, it has a hollow tube filled with a liquefied metal uh, that he calls something else, Which, it, but I can only assume it's like mercury or yeah. sodium or something like that. And the weight shifts as you swing it. As the liquid shifts from one side of it to the other, and Which it is for what he does because he has to spend you know a goodly amount of time sitting next to a guy about to get his head lopped off with his sword raised above his head. That's right, and because the torturers take so much pride in their work, they have to ensure that every strike with this blade is accurate and gets the job done right you know if you've got to hit more than once you've pretty much failed as a torturer yes and severian is quite skilled with the use of this sword yeah i mean these guys he he leaves the guild as a journeyman but that's like having a master's degree in torturing mm-hmm. <laughs> and so He's got to be, what, like 16, 17 when he leaves? Yeah, maybe 17, 18. It's, it's really hard to say. 
Uh, Severian never really gives too, too many clues as to how old he is because he jumps back and forth in his recollections of, you know, being a small child and being a teenager. And so, you know, young adult, I'm sure, because I think you have to be at a certain age to become a, you know, a journeyman. Um, in which you actually practice the art of the torturer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the apprentices are, you know, they do the menial jobs. They get all the instruction, but they do all the menial jobs around, like, cleaning out the sewer pipe in the middle of winter. Um, yeah. Things, things of that nature. Bringing, you know, the laundry down, the, you know, bringing food to all the guests. Yeah, that's what you would expect, and they also take classes. Right. Right. So the, the, the Citadel of the Tower of the Torturers is, is really kind of the Disney world of pain. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Uh, you know, this tall to use Alwyn's necklace. That's right. Hey, you know, this is stuff that would make Pinhead go, oh my. Well, they have a gazillion years of, of technique honing. Mm. But Severian, you know, for being a guy who's expert in his, whose expertise is torture and executions, he's pretty handy in a scrap. Yeah, I think they have to learn, you know, how, how to defend themselves as well. Yeah. You know, but, he talks about how like they learn uh, blocks and hold and holds for prisoners, and I'm sure they get drilled on how to use that sword. Maybe not like for fighting, but well, he seems to be quite skillful with it uh, in a combat situation. But that could also be, uh, you know, put down to the fact that years and years and years of knowing how to hurt people. Right, you know, you said, "Well, all I got to do is just do this." Well, he he also, yeah, like like when he's on the howda, mm -hmm. um, a lot of that isn't like fighting skill; it's like torturing skill that he uses. Right. Like he grabs somebody by the arm and twists it till you know pinches a nerve so they can't can't walk. Right, <laughs> and stuff like that. But like when he ends up fighting, fighting, he ends up getting his ass kicked a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but, you know, he gives it a good go, and he's always outnumbered in those situations, except for one. Yeah. And it is because the method of fighting is completely alien to him. Right. And so it's alien to everybody. About, we should talk about that, because, like, that's got, like, two of the cooler things in these books are in that whole sequence. All right. Uh, so he, like, he leaves to go north to Thrax um, in the city that's so big that it takes him like three days to, to, to get from the middle of it to the end. Right. But on his way, um, he, he's told that his, his uh, uniform is disturbing people. Right. And he needs to go and pick himself up to get some normal clothes, mm -hmm. more or less. Uh, so he goes into this rag shop to to just get something to cover up his his darker than black cloak. Right, a cloak to put on top of his cloak. Right, 
and uh, he he is challenged by um, a, a soldier in in like full armor mm -hmm. to a duel for no reason. Right. Um, you know, you think, oh, maybe it's you know the torturers are really you know this is how they're going to get rid of them kind of thing. Right. Um, and the duel is with flowers. Yes. The Avern. Which is so, not really a flower, but it is a flower. Yeah, it's a, well, it's an alien plant that has that flowers and is um, lethal to, to uh, Earth life. Mm -hmm. And the Autark just so happens to have a crop of them in his botanical gardens. Right. And it's really the botanical gardens that I want to talk about. <laughs> because right. the botanical gardens are cool as fuck. Oh, yeah. So, on the way to the botanical gardens, he inadvertently picks up a relic called the Claw of the Conciliator. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, which is very important because it heals people. Yeah, it, it's so important. They named the second volume after. <laughs> right. So, just so you know. Right. Just so you know. Just so you know. Um, that's plot. But the fucking botanical gardens are so cool. Well, I mean, he he picks up the claw because because uh, the the latest lady he meets and falls immediately madly and truly in love with. Uh, Decides she wants to have like a street race, <laughs> yeah. With this other dude, the, the one of the owners of the rag shop, right? And Her, she is going to help him um, get pick an Avern, right? And all Severian really wants to do is sleep with her, right? Like, well, she, can't we just get down to the nookie? And she knows it. <laughs> So she she totally takes advantage of him, but she gets him into the street race, and things go wrong. They crash into this uh, huge revival tent where a um, order of nuns is camping, right? And they are the the Pellegrines, mm -hmm. and they are in possession of a relic from the Earth's previous Christ figure. The, the conciliator. conciliator. And uh, he ends up with with the relic. Mm -hmm. And the whole place burns to the ground. Right. And flies up into the air. Yes. So they get takes, to the but it's a very long time for that to happen. Right. So they get to the botanical gardens, and the botanical gardens are this kind of weird almost like pocket dimension. Yeah, they have these rooms that bend space and time. So that I I think that the one they go into um, that is the jungle room goes into like the 20s, the 1920s in Africa. Oh, so you're saying it's not like you know, just space, you think that it's actually they go back into time. Yeah, well, there was a, a mail plane, like a two, a prop plane that went over. Oh, yeah. Inside the room. Yeah, inside the room. So I don't think it's a room. I think it's like, you know, 
uh, dimensional time shifty stuff. I refuse to say that Doctor Who thing. So, mm-hmm. um, it's just cool. They have like a bunch of these rooms, and they're bigger than the than the space allotted to them. And um, you, they encounter people who are from different eras. Like the people they encounter in the jungle room are like a couple of anthropologists and like, you know, a guy from central Africa. Right. And then from the jungle room, they go to the peat bogs. Yeah. That's where the Avern is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they, and uh, that's cool too, because they, it's an alternate way of getting rid of dead bodies. Right. Is that them in in this peat bog. Which uh, preserves the body, and like kind of finally works their skin into like soft leather. Mm-hmm. Which is where they find Dorcas. Yes. Um, who kind of appears uh, in the bog? Yes. And like like here's, other here's, fictional here's, Christ figures, uh, this is a point where. Severian loses his sword briefly. Is that a thing with Christ figures? Well, Anakin Skywalker lost his lightsaber a lot. Did Jesus lose his sword? Jesus never carried one. Oh, okay. That's, That's why I said that... other fictional okay. Christ figures. Not the original fictional Christ figure? Right. Right, like how Superman, you know, loses his glasses, you know. Okay. Here's the thing, and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up. He has the claw. Severi dies in that bog. He drowns. Mm -hmm. Straight up drowns. And um, he, and he, it's not the only time he's drowned either. Right. Severian has made has a habit of uh, drowning and conveniently coming back to life. Right. The whole the whole first chapter of the book takes place immediately after he drowned and came back to life. Yes. Severian drowns and is rescued by Dorcas. Mm-hmm. Right after you're told by this wandering old man in a boat that he's looking for his his wife who died years and years ago named what was her name Cass I think something like that it was Cass Dorcas Cass right I mean you're basically told right then and there that um that Severian resurrected this woman mm-hmm. she was she was in the box when she's revived, she has amnesia, doesn't remember a damn thing. Right. That happened before she came out of the box. But Severian, you know, being the guy, why don't you hang out with us? Right. I'm going to fight in a duel. Yes, with these flowers. With a plant. Speaking of which, let's go get that plant. Yes. And so yep. they do. They do. And then they go to the other cool thing that happens 
in this book. Well, the other major cool, there's a lot of cool things that happen in this book, but the really cool other thing is the duel itself. Because once again, Superior dies. Yep. <laughs> and if like the other ones were like, eh, maybe he didn't die, right? Maybe he, he was rescued and maybe the claw didn't bring him back to life or he brought himself back to life or whatever. He definitely dies in this because these plants, when you when you are cut by one of their leaves, the poison is so um, so powerful and virulent that uh, you die within seconds. Mm -hmm. And the witnesses to the fight say that Severian died within seconds. And they got back up. And then got back up, which caused his opponent to freak the fuck out. Right. Now his opponent was was there's not really a lot of people in the story who are who are genuinely good people. But his opponent was one of the ones that are genuinely bad. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of these characters have their ups and downs, including Severian, in terms of are they good, are they bad? They're people that have their moments. Right. This guy, Agila, is just a straight-up schmuck. Yep. His whole plan. Now, um, Agila and Agius were the owners of the rag shop. They saw the sword. They saw the cloak. They coveted them and decided to challenge Severian to the duel uh, because, obviously, he wouldn't know what he was doing. He'd be easy meat, and they can get all of this stuff. Right. That's especially, a long especially after he wouldn't sell it. Yeah. But the the clever thing about using the, the Avern as a weapon is, A, he doesn't know how to use it, and the property of the Avern is that it's activated by heat. Mm -hmm. When you're holding it, your body heat will activate the Avern, and it'll turn on its owner. Right. When um, his opponent was wearing gloves so that heat wouldn't wouldn't uh affect him affect the, his plant right but before that you know before the duel itself we kind of got a, like a pretty cool little scene where you know the dude has a helmet on and he's like no i'm not taking off my helmet and they're like well do you have anything you can substitute as a helmet and he puts on the fucking torturer's mask and everybody's yeah. like oh shit it's on now it's on <laughs> yeah so oh uh it was totally a cool cool thing severian dies in the duel and and resurrects uh causing everyone to also kind of freak the fuck out it was like wait a minute you don't just come back from that. And then Agila uh, starts to run away and uh, uses his deadly plant to cut a swath in the crowd. Through the innocent bystanders. But um, interestingly enough, Severian doesn't even have to go out for revenge because the dude meets you know, the hands of justice. The city watch arrests him and then and comes to him and say hey dude you know you're like a a tort a carnifex right it's yeah. like <laughs> not really i'm a torturer but uh you can execute people right i suppose if you pay the fee all right well you know here we go sack of gold 
kill this guy. You know, he killed a bunch of people the other day, just just like cold blooded, you know, kind of weird. And then, you know, they drag him out and it's like, holy crap, it's the guy that tried, just killed me. In the door. And that's the thing about um, we were talking earlier about how they the torturers do the sentence and that's it. Mm-hmm. No more, no less. It's a very, you know, God damn it. He like according to his narr- narration takes no pleasure in this. Right. He does, he does the job. Mm-hmm. And he, he does the job you know, it, as quickly and effortlessly as possible. Yeah. Because that's what he does. He, he discusses the the ritual aspect of it is that he's supposed to stand there on the on the gallows looking all hard. Right. And you know, they have the mask on, so I guess you can take the mask off and nobody recognizes you out in public. Right. You know, and you you know, you're leaning on your sword or whatever you happen to use to you know end someone's life. Yeah. And they bring this him out and they go ahead. Oh, this is where we meet Heather. Yes. Hethor. 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 Who is like a a groupie. Yep. And an agent of Vodalus. Well, I don't think Hethor is an agent of Vodalus. Oh, he's not? He is... No, that's the other guy with the H. Yeah, that's um, Hildegrand. Hildegrand. Yeah. Hildegrand the Badger. Yes, he's an agent of Odalus. Heather's the crazy fucking guy who's like, and they, where did the doll go, master? Get, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you going <laughs> to cut his head off? Yeah. I'm sorry, you know, I can understand writing it, but, you know, I, I did a combination of audiobook and the, the book itself, and Seriously, the the stutter in the audiobook was a little bit off-putting. Yeah, well, Heather's a little bit off-putting. Yeah, well, he's kind of creepy. He's totally creepy. He's a torturous groupie. Yes. Uh, you come to find out later on, he's a little bit more. Um, I won't spoil that for you. Okay. Next week, we'll, I'll spoil that for you, but you already know by then. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so get to meet Heather and a bunch of other like uh, torturous groupies. But he's really the 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 creepiest one of them all because he's obviously unstable. At some point in his life, he failed his sanity check mm-hmm. and never recovered. Right. Um, but you also get um, this interesting conversation when Severian interviews um, Agilis, where. He pulls a total on the victim here. <laughs> right. Takes a, a play right out of Fox News. Three times you have wronged me. Um, how? <laughs> <laughs> you set up a fake duel to kill me and take my stuff. How have I wronged you? <laughs> and I won that duel if you had uh, come back to life. I don't oh, shit. know. But you cheated. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's an interesting conversation. It, and it, it's a really good example of how 
you can gaslight somebody really into believing just the exact opposite of what actually went down. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, even though he tries to play the victim card and, you know, I've been thrice wronged, you know, Severian just kind of goes like, they prepaid. Yeah. <laughs> Your sentence is already done. It ain't happening. We live in a brutal society. Goodbye. Um, the, I took a deposit before I came in here. <laughs> so, sorry, not sorry. This uh, is just business, you understand. Yes, and then you also realize that um, the twins are also gross. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Ultimate Marvel Maximoff gross. Right. Right. They are also Lannisters. Yeah. Ugh. For Game of Thrones fans. So you you end up um, you end up making an, a complete enemy of um, the sister Agila uh, because you executed her sister husband or brother husband. Gross, my brother cousin. Yeah. Uh, then you meet Doctor Talos and Baldanders, who we skipped over, but they're actually pretty important. Mm -hmm. um, a giant and his mountebank. Right. Who are performing a play. Mm -hmm. Andre the Giant and the Sicilian from Princess Bride. Yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Well, if I'll that, Almost that exact so, archetype. If he was a little bit more surly. Yeah. It's inconceivable. But Dr. Talos is a thespian and a bit of a, a snake oil salesman of sorts. You know, he's got, he's pretty much going on. He's got this almost old time medicine show. They're traveling performers and he has this play that he's written and, uh, just kind of recruits Severian into joining. He's like, you yeah. know what? You look like a torturer. I've got a part for a torturer. <laughs> and then after he kills Aguila, he's like, oh, you really are a torturer. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're not, you're not just play acting. That's not cosplay. Yeah. You're really that guy. And, and that's the other thing is nobody can really believe he is what he says he is. Cause the torturers guild is kind of mythological. Right. Right, they 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 in the old section of the city, which is pretty much like gonna die out soon. Mm -hmm. Like the the part of the city that is uninhabited kind of creeps north, and there the citadel seems to be the next part of the city that's going to like just be gone, mm -hmm. and. So it's, you know, people don't go there. Right. There's no reason to. Right. There's witches and monsters and torturers that live there. Right. You know, nobody goes there. Um, so, yeah, he hooks back up with, with uh, our thespians uh, who have also 
kidnapped a waitress. Of, <laughs> uh, kidnapped pretty much. And altered her. Yeah. That's you see that toward the end of Claw the Conciliator. Wait. Science waitress. Mm -hmm. And they leave. Severian hooks up with this dude named Jonas, who uh, was a fan of the waitress. Right. He's a, a reverse cyborg. Right. He's like the Terminator. He's, he's a robot that has human parts grafted onto him. Robotic in the skeleton covered in living human flesh. And he also talks like an old man for some <laughs> in the audiobook for some reason. <laughs> the old audiobooks are great. You get these guys that really just know two voices. Yeah. If you uh if you go onto YouTube and search for Claw the Conciliator or the Shadow of the Torturer, you'll understand where my uh, my my Severin voice comes from. Now, <laughs> it's funny because he he sounds more like a villain. <laughs> yeah, he does from that from that audio. No, I said and twirled my mustache <laughs> in my fulgen cloak. So he, he makes it out of the city in a very confusing sequence. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the walls of the city are like three miles high and super thick. And they are uh, rife with uh, tunnels. Mm -hmm. And in these tunnels live like an army of beast-headed men. Mm -hmm. And there's some disturbance um, as they're going through the wall and they get separated. Right. Uh, and it's completely unclear as to what is going on now. Right. And Severian just kind of like, well, that's all for now. Join yeah, us next time. It's kind of a... Um, a very convenient thing to happen. And there are a, a number of very convenient things that happen in these books. And it has been suggested that these uh, convenient deus ex machina moments are literally deus ex machina moments. Uh, because you have uh, cacogens, aliens, who are... Um, kind of controlling what's going on behind the scenes. And um, the aliens, uh, you don't know this yet. Okay, so some of these aliens live backwards. Mm -hmm. Okay. That okay. kind of like the first time he meets them is the last time they meet him. Kind yes. Of backwards. Yes. And they know what happens in history so they are able to make it happen right so they're manipulating the timeline they're manipulating events exactly so that the right things will happen right so um 
He needs to get out of the city now. There's a disturbance. He needs to be separated from Talos for a period. Mm -hmm. He needs to hook up with Jonas for a while. Right, exactly. These certain things need to happen. You know, for a guy who, like, tortures and kills people for a living, he forms, like, friendships very quickly. Yeah, he's a nice guy. And, and you know, Jonas even, you know, is like, I have no reason to be following you around, but I'm going everywhere you go. <laughs> well, he, he, Jonas, the robot, was in love with Jominta, the Frankenstein woman. Right. That, and he really he wanted to uh, hook up with her later on. That's right. That's the only reason I'm following you around, buddy. I want to, I want to get some of that cyborg. Mm. Booyah! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. I'm going to. I, I hope you don't mind, but I have some villain things to accomplish real quick because I'm getting paid. Right. So the, the Claw of the Conciliator is the, the next thing that happens. And in this one, um, he hooks up with Vodalus finally. Mm -hmm. uh, we see the power of the Claw on um, subterranean Morlocks. Yep. Uh, Vodalus recruits him. And they feast upon the remains of Thecla. Yep, after drinking some, some nasty, like nasty stuff. Yeah, like an anaphylactic alzebo. Right, which is like brain juice from a certain animal. Yeah, so it, basically what it does is it um, allows the memories of um, the deceased to live on for a time in in um whoever eats it after mm -hmm. taking this drug right it it said that if you cared for the person or if you knew them the effect is really great and because uh severian is who he is uh, he thecla just doesn't go away right right his first true love for everyone else, um, the effects fade. And they kind of have like that in them, but for Severian, like he now um, is more or less two different personalities inside one body. Mm -hmm. Right, which is exactly what Vodalus wanted, because Thecla had intimate knowledge of the interior of the House Absolute, right? Which he wanted Severian to infiltrate. Which he where he sends Severian to meet his um, his contact there. Mm -hmm. We'll know the man by the spy novel phrase: <laughs> "The Pelagic Argosy sights land." <laughs> Which actually makes sense. I looked it up. It's like the. Um, fleet of ships sees land mm -hmm. <laughs> like a pelagic argosy is like a fleet of seafaring ships right <laughs> they sight land oh okay i guess i mean it's no the umbrellas in the in the drop box but whatever right so he gets uh ends up getting thrown in jail in the house absolute 
right. uh, which is kind of a white collar prison. It has its own Starbucks. Now this jail is an interesting jail because it is like uh, Santa Prisca. Uh, these not everyone in this jail is actually in there for being in jail. They are the descendants of prisoners, right? It's a generation jail. Uh, originally, it was the antechamber for people petitioning to uh, to the court of the art autark. And uh, these are the descendants of people who time has not come to be heard. Right. And so they're kind of there. And now, when you read about this jail, anything seem familiar about it? Anything seem familiar about it? Yeah, I totally ripped off this jail for uh, Nippon no Ka. Oh, the big round room? Yeah. Just sealed up. Where like the, the samurai were just shoveling in food through a gate. Right. Well, they didn't just shovel in food through a gate. They brought a cart. Right. Well, in, in there, the samurai were the samurai. The um the people with the secret room were torturing the the prisoners. In mind they were they were giving them food. Mm -hmm. Now Yeah, I totally ripped that off. Uh, yes, Jonas gets, uh, gets a snot kicked out of him. He gets whipped. And Severian uses the power of the claw to heal him where he discovers like, uh, yo, dude, what you going to do with Jolinta when you find her? Yeah. Cause it, cause it doesn't really work on Jonas Cause well that, and you know, it's like, yo dude, you know, your robot from the waist down, right? This is where you find out that Jonas is really a robot. He thought he just had a cool metal hand. Right. He thought he was Arsenal. Right. And Jonas, you know, comes clean and says, you know, we crashed here. I was damaged and uh, they kind of repaired me with whatever was laying around. What about that guy? Yeah, we kind of crashed on top of him. <laughs> right. He died in the crash. Sure. All right. So Jonas teleports away. He manages to escape. Uh, and Severian hooks up with the doctor and the giant again. They put on a performance, which is recounted in full over the course of the book. Within the book. You also meet the Altark. Yes, you meet the Altark. Who happens to be the... Um, Agent of Odalis. The agent of Odalis and the the um eunuch who ran the whorehouse. Right. So he's kind of everywhere. And he really likes Severian. He really does. As a matter of fact, he tells Severian that later on, when after you go north, um uh, you're gonna meet the Autark and he's gonna tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's like shelling out the money. Uh, the doctor and the giant are now rich beyond their wildest dreams because it's like, hey, I liked your play. You know, sorry, the giant went crazy. Who likes that play? That play is horrible. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that is. 
that's that's Gene Wolf sitting there going, <laughs> I'm gonna write the most pretentious shit I can. No, it's great because like we just finished talking about how like in like uh in like chambers the 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 play, you know, you get snippets of of the yellow sign, mm-hmm. but you don't get the whole thing because it doesn't, you know, it's not as spectacular as you think it's gonna be. And this is like, yeah, you're right. Why would you do that to us, Gene? <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't you just give us snippets? I was fine with the snippets you gave us already. Yeah. Um, yep. They uh, they hook back up, perform the play, get paid, uh, escape from Ballanders, goes a little nuts. Everybody gets separated and ushered out of the house absolute. They hook back up later on the road and uh, they walk a little ways and they're like, uh, yeah, so this is this way will take you to Thrax. This way takes us back to our place uh, where we're going to rebuild our house that was burned down by the villagers. Uh, um, Linda, dear, you can't come with us. Right. So, Tavarian, you like ladies. Here you go. Now, Dr. Talos is. Um, I guess medicines were the only thing keeping this woman alive. Right. Because uh, she was more or less just um, made mm-hmm. from this waitress. Right. They find out later, they find a ruined city with some witches, and the witches come out and they say, you know, they tell what Dr. Talos did to Jacinta. And that was, you know, injecting the DNA of certain animals into her bloodstream to, you know, make her breasts larger, legs more shapely. And what's that? She had to be maintained. Right. And she was not being maintained after Talos and, um, and bald Anders went back up to Lake Diaturna. Mm -hmm. So she quickly sickens. Right. Being bitten by a blood bat didn't help much. Yeah, I wonder if that was a bloodbath if she like slit her own wrists. Possibly. Uh, the other big thing that happens around now is uh, one of the cosmic horrors that are hinted at shows up. Like, throughout this whole narr- narrative, you get these hints about these like Cthulhu-like Dagon things that live beneath the ocean. Right. Um, that are responsible for... Um, a war against the altar and you get one here mm-hmm. um, who tries to convince Severian to join. Right. And he says, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. He says, I'm sorry, but I've, Got other things to do. I have to do my duty. <laughs> it is kind of cool that he has these um, alien, huge alien things living in the ocean, right? That hate humanity and are constantly like, you know, using their agents to thwart um, human progress. Yep. yep. But it's like kind of like an everyday thing. It's just like there. Right. It happens all the time. It's like, yeah, we got Cthulhu. No big deal. Yep. 
He visits every other Tuesday. You'll also notice that I ripped off the name of the main big fish person in that mm-hmm. for Nippon no Kagi as well as my environmentally fish person thing. <laughs> yep. All right. And um, yeah, we'll wrap it up right here because we've gone on quite a while. Yeah. Um, and three attempts to get this show done. Uh, so, yep. Join us next time. We'll cover the second half of the Book of the New Sun uh, and probably, probably continue along with uh, Claw the Conciliator. Yeah. But until then, keep 30 luck points. Mm-hmm.